I think I'm just personally very happy that there's a contingent of people in the world who are waiting for Adam to hook up his bidet. I think something about that is just sort of like a weird, magical <laughs> 2020 moment. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 253 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm not a programmer. This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 3rd, 20 Blendy. Before we get started... With a warning, there's going to be profanity on this show, so you know. Yeah, so, so there. <laughs> that's that's all there is to it. I mean, it, is, like it is April Thrills Day. Ooh. Yes, you know that's the that's the third day. It's the day where all the oh, fools wait. are just through with getting pranked. Yeah, that was They're for me. That there. was on on March 31st. Were there actually any good uh, April Fools this year? I didn't even pay attention to it. I feel like there's a little. Kind of a little bit of other stuff going on. So. It was a lull. There was Overwatch a lull. put googly eyes on all their characters. So that was that is hilarious. That's pretty, pretty awesome. We'll give it to them. So that the gaming happened. ones, I feel like, are usually the best because they're just like ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous there was ideas. There was another thing that where some developer implied that they were going to take some old like 3ds or something game of theirs and put it on the Switch. Mm. And then people got really excited, and then it turned out that that was not true. And then people got very angry. So that, yeah, I feel like so there's, uh, there's a line to walk because if, you're, if your prank is like, hey, you know this thing that you love and want really bad? You can't have it. Yeah, <laughs> or, or we've ruined it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Blizzard posted a video with – it was a, a trailer on the WoW channel. It was a trailer for – Burning Crusade Classic. They posted it, it on April Fools. Yeah, but then it turned out to be a Rickroll. So, uh, oh but again, gosh. this is. I, I opened. It, I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" Uh-huh. And I was like, "Fuck, it's April 1st. Yeah, uh, okay, let's <laughs> see it. I opened it up. No good. And yeah, the only yeah, one the I saw of, it was like the googly eyes. Which yeah, is dumb. Yeah, the mm-hmm. only one I saw that where somebody actually got something new was there. Was, I can't remember which studio it was, but there was some. Actually, it might have been Darkest Dungeon. It was something surprising where they they announced on April Fool's Day they were going to have some multiplayer DLC for a game that kind of didn't feel like it made any sense to have that. And everyone was like, obviously, this is a joke because why were you know, that's dumb, right? Uh, and it turns out they're actually doing it. Unless it's, oh. unless it's an extended April Fool's where they're going to keep on tricking you until eventually they don't actually deliver it. I guess that's possible. You know what the best move would be? To on one April Fools announce that you're going to do something that sounds crazy and dumb. Yeah, okay? and people and are like, next ha, April ha, Fools, ha. you've now done you, this. Yeah, next <laughs> April Fools, you do it. You release that thing because yep. then people will be like, "Come on, no, this." They this, this, last year. <laughs> this is the same joke as last year, yeah. and then people will be like, "No, man, go download it seriously," and you'd be like, "Ha ha." Yeah, I don't no, trust I don't this. Think so. <laughs> Oh man, that's great! Oh, now before con. we get into the before we get into the news, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters from MoneyGrab.bscotch.net. We grab their money. It's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, let's talk about life. Sam, you want to talk about Diana making cool paintings? Of yes. Stuff. So uh, my wife had two shows that were supposed to be happening for her to exhibit her artworks in some places. Pa- she's a paint a this, paint person. Mm-hmm, these giant paintings that she puts together. And uh, both of them got, you know, postponed slash canceled because it's what's happening these days. Life is canceled. So uh, she ended up basically putting out a call for people to send in pictures of their at-home spaces that they are essentially, you know, quarantined in. And then she's been painting them uh, and actually really fast. So every day she does one for like not one of a half basically and then posts it and posts a little snippet about it. And I wanted to share it because one is they've been resonating a ton just with people that, of course, that, uh, you know, follow her already. Uh, and they're just, they're, they're really pretty and they're really fun. Uh, and you get to, and then you see the little blurb about the person afterward. Uh, and it always kind of colors the image to a degree, you know, whether they're having a good time in quarantine, whether you know, who they know, who's sick or whatever else. Um, and it's just been a really interesting thing to see her, I think, really rapidly spin from being like oh man like all my shows are canceled for the next while and all this work that i've been working on for six months like a maniac is on pause now to just within a couple days saying okay how do we you know how do we make something good out of this and and give some give something 
uh, you know, of, of joy back to people. And so it's really fun to see. Really fun. This to watch. is like a legit, uh, you know, life's lemons into lemonade. Yes, sort of. Yeah, we've been making that, Yeah, we've been cracking <laughs> that joke in the house quite a bit. Um, it's all about that pivot. It is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, her her Instagram is Diana Zhang underscore, and it's just a bunch of cool paintings and stuff. That's Z E N G Zhang. People are welcome to send in uh, their at home workspaces, little pictures of them, and then they might show up in there. Who knows? This sounds like a coffee table book in the making. That's what I was thinking. It's going to be to me. It's going to be a just a, a fascinating uh, sort of historical document, you know. Uh, yeah. I saw I saw a note from a principal who was telling parents to you know see if you can get your kids to to basically pr- produce a document, a, you know, a journal over the course of their time during this because they're like this is literally a big historical thing, and in 10, 20 years time to be able to have this like personal record of you going through it would be kind of uh, kind of incredible. So it's also a very bizarre time because of how how wildly segmented the experience is for different groups of of people. Yes. Like some people are just bored. Some people are having a really hard time and some people are are uh very sick. Yeah, right? And so there's just uh it's there's going to be a lot of really weird uh uh sort of like retrospective stories and documents and stuff that, that mm-hmm. come out of this time. So it's, it's good that people are, are, uh, think, thinking about this, Yeah, you know? So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what stuff she, she does. I think that, that sounds like it's probably very helpful for people as well. Yeah. It's been, she's got a lot of people reach out afterwards and, uh, just, they, they not only just like the project a lot, but then of course, you know, it, uh, as we've talked about with the value of entertainment or video games or whatever else, uh, it is useful during times like these in particular. Uh, very useful yeah. to people. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about the studio specifically. It's it's freaking April. It's we have April. crossed the threshold. <clears throat> it is the month of launch. Now we're launching on the last day of the month, so it's you know still far it's, away. It still counts. <laughs> uh, but it's it's April third. I mean, it's less than four weeks away. Yeah. yeah. And our gold. So we we call it our gold build, which is the 1.0 build that has all of the things in it that we will be releasing. Uh, So that means all the features, all the bug fixes, all the optimizations, and all of the text, all the localized translated text. So that's all done. And on uh, April 1st, I incremented the version number to one, Mm -hmm. which was a – uh, an oddly emotional thing to do because literally nothing else changed other than the number one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just like three bug fixes and then flipping it over to a, a 1.0. Um, but well, that, I mean, walk us through what that, you know, I'm like, what is that? Cause for anybody who's, who's not necessarily launched a game or, or launched a product, uh, that's a very weird moment. It's a big like thing, you know, cause you're, it's been it's been two, uh, two years and four months that we've been working on this game, but but this game uh, represents. Um, I feel like for us, it represents a big milestone in our studio, which is which is coming off of of Crashlands. Crashlands was like a totally un. It was unreliable and unexpected, and it was like shooting from the hip, and everything was on fire, and uh, we had no good processes in place to sort of handle having a game that actually had players uh, and was successful. And, and the fallout from, from launching that game was, there was a lot of it um, just in terms of how it impacted our health and our sleep and how much we had to crunch to, to keep things going. And we also made all kinds of business blunders and just did all kinds of stuff. Uh, wrong for for years after Crashlands came out. Let's not to say we didn't do anything right. I think we did we did we did many things right, but um but because of because of all of that, you know, it took us four years mm-hmm. to get this game out between yeah. Crashlands and Levelhead. And so I think for me the emotional weight of getting this game out is it feels like a like a return to like being back on top of things and being in control of things um, as opposed to just feeling like we're 
digging out from the the hole that we put ourselves into. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a big deal. I feel like yeah, and yeah I'm very think, excited. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, it's it's a weird thing because it's also the the fact that it's going. This it's sort of the no turning back point, right? Because I think. One of the things that a lot of people who create stuff don't necessarily talk about is the fact that like when people start using it, like that's exactly that's what you're building it for, technically, right? But also yeah. that's that's also the time when you're gonna start getting uh, plenty of feedback about it. Uh, good and bad, right? There's a there's a vulnerability to it. Yeah. You know, like you're you're putting that thing out there and it's it's going to get reviewed by critics. Yep. Whose job is to critique, you know, <laughs> yep. they will they will say things like you'll spend two two years, two and a half years working on a thing. And, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, I mean, it's pretty good overall, but there's this one nitpick I have with it. So like 8.5 out of 10, right. <laughs> uh, which, it, which you think to yourself, you know, what about the other 99% of, of the game, but it just doesn't matter. Um, you're, you're still gonna, you're not going to nail everything. Yeah. And there's always that kind of dread of, of thinking like, did I miss something? Um, and the answer is yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah, of there's always more. There's always more that you could have done, right? That's yeah, just how it is. Um, and so we've we've got uh, we've got the 1.0 made. It's all submitted through the various uh, cert channels, and and in some cases already is approved. In other cases, is is uh, going through that approval process for all the different platforms. We've got our pre-registration page up on Google Play, which has right now 58. Thousand seven hundred and forty-six pre-registrations. Yeah, which sounds it sounds high, but also, but is we it? Have no, <laughs> we have no data. Is there a point one percent conversion? Does that turn into eight sales? Yeah, um, yeah. Notice me. That's that's people who want to be alerted the day of. Right. That's not. It also not sales. There's also no. And there's also no price on Google Play. So. People don't actually know what they're signing up to do. When they're it not comes pre-ordering. Out. They're not pre-ordering. It's, it's basically wish listing, but it's wish listing for a thing that, whose price is unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Which is often the case on something like Steam. The big difference is that on Google, people expect things to be free. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So so they don't know. Uh, so my, my assumption is that the conversion will be low. Yeah, we'll find um, But one interesting thing is that because the game – this is our first fully localized uh, game and – the U.S. is actually number four in pre-registrations. Really? So num- number one is South Korea. Um, really? And number two right. is is uh, India. Huh. So, <laughs> so it's it, – which is – I mean that one's also interesting because uh, English is predominantly spoken in India. So it being localized actually doesn't help us okay, doesn't at all. That's just, at that's all. just yeah. an interesting coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so there's going to be some really interesting uh, things that come out of this. We've also gotten uh, just as of yesterday, I think we got pre-orders opened up on uh, the App Store as well yep. for iOS. So everything is humming along, and and over the course of the next month, you will start to see level head sort of ideally, you know, exponentially creeping up in terms of awareness of uh, of how many people know about it, how many people are talking about it, yeah. and stuff. And it'll really start kicking off after the twenty third or so. Uh, it's the the week yes. the week running up to launch is usually one of the busiest ones in terms of various ads and stuff turn on and uh, our, a lot of our outreach actually starts for real at that point. So, but yeah, but the vast majority of our ad spending happens on launch day itself, which of course Correct. is also when all of the stores put put it up for sale and make it fully available. And if they're going to do any featuring for us, that's when they do that too. So, so the big the biggest splash definitely is going to be launch day. Yeah, uh, and we're actually like our our efforts going to be are going to be fairly quiet really for the next few like couple weeks um but then they they will ramp up ramp up very dramatically yeah there'll be a few ballyhoos to look forward to a little few newsletters coming out and then uh, otherwise yeah launch launch itself is the next big thing which is yes. wild <laughs> yep. we're also doing some so our our work has kind of shifted this week in terms of what it looks like because with the 1.0 done um the amount of urgent work has subsided because it's done now. Like we can't change it, right? Mm-hmm. And so so uh personally I've been kind of working through figuring out how to transition from being a developer to assisting with some of the marketing efforts. And I'll be doing that over the course of the next week or so to get some things prepared. So I'm writing uh the 
the Level Head Division Employee Manual, which will be made available, kind of like what we did with the Crashlands Manual. Do we need a Do we need a separate web page for that? That's just like that's just for I that was, purpose. I was Ideally, we could we could also? I wanted to put it make a PDF. We could like have a thing you can download. You know? Now we also talked about we need, we need Sam, multi-format is what we is what we really mm-hmm. need. Yeah. Now we talked about having Sam read it. Oh uh, yeah. Record record his narration of it so that yes. you can have Sam as the voice of the narrator from the the presentations mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, read you through the employee handbook. Uh, so I think that's, that's going to be super fun. Some of the Hades <laughs> uh, that Hades is doing in early access is there. Every time they roll out patch notes, they have. I don't know if it's the same because I think they have, a, they have a, a bunch of voice work done in the game. So, but it's it's one of the voice actors does a dramatic reading of the patch notes every time yeah. they come out. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> spectacular. So, yeah, I'm I am 100 percent on board with this idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're gonna do some fun stuff. Um, what else are we doing? We're doing a welcome email, I think. So when people get their uh, their Rumpus account created through Levelhead, then. Uh, we can send them an email basically being like, hey, you know, welcome to the game and here's some extra resources for you so we can link them to the employee handbook mm-hmm. as well as uh, community resources like the Discord, the subreddit, Spotlights stuff like that. And all that. Yeah, because we basically found that those things are super helpful for giving people just a better sense of what's out there for them to participate in around the game um, so that they don't just kind of like pop into the game be like, oh, okay, this is fun and then just wander off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of stuff to do there, and then once that's all done, then we uh, then we start figuring out like what happens after launch. Like what's what's our one point one patch? Uh, what's our one point two patch? If if we can, uh, I mean the fascinating thing you know? with all these we've talked about this in the past, but there's this problem with with achieving these big goals, which is that there's a vacuum that sort of opens up all of a sudden, right? Where yeah. all of that, all of that stuff. I mean, we, it's actually already happening to a degree. So Adam is the only one who's still, because he of course is supporting all the web systems, which can uh, be updated at any yep. time, uh, including during launch, which will yeah, almost definitely have to happen. Adam's probably updating the website right now. Uh, nope, <laughs> <laughs> but I have yeah, updated it twice today. He's the yeah. only one who basically is, is able to uh, is able to or has to, depending on your frame. Uh, continue development all the way up to the 1.0. And so as a result then, uh, yeah, we were moving into this, this strange space where a lot of the, just, I don't know, it's like the, you enter in that vacuum space, where, like you did the big thing and now you got to cross off a couple of these smaller things, but then the, actually the next question looms, which is like, well, what's the next, what's big, the next thing? big thing? Yeah. yeah and even so our priorities so board is like, our priorities board for the studio is almost like it's starting to drain down. Like we're finally you know, finishing off a lot of these gigantic projects uh, that have been in there for, you know, we put that board together four months ago or something like that. And so it's, yeah. it's really kind of crazy. Yeah. Now, of my, course we do want to begin working on Crashlands too, but that's good. We've got in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we do, we want to, uh, we want to make sure that we give level head its due and that if the players materialize at launch um, that we support the game and, and, and there's a, there's a few kind of like pie in the sky, really weird and dumb things that we've been wanting to put into the game that we just haven't been able to take the time to do because we've been doing launch prep. And so Sam and I did did some uh, did some planning, coming up with some yep really really weird weird stuff to put in the game. So I don't know. Well, I mean everything's up in the air now, and we can't really commit to anything until we. Until we see what happens. Plus, so. I'm pretty confident that that patch one will be the patch that makes it so that our lives aren't disintegrating due to the flood of players. Patch, whatever yes. that's going to mean. But I think uh, I think there's going to be something. There's, there's got to be something. There's always wrinkles. Yeah, so we'll find them. They'll find yeah. us. More like yeah, they'll find us. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We just got to get steamy enough that we can't get wrinkled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so I think that's all the stuff that we wanted to talk about for Studio News, unless you guys had any final thoughts. Nah. Nah? Nah. All right, let's just get on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Fly Hoppy Axe Rompa, who says, 
If you gave your wives full creative control over your next game project, but you were still in charge of the technical execution of creating that game, mm. what would that project look like? So the three of them are the designers, essentially. So the question and really we is, are just what, the hands. what games do the three of them like and then how do you like smash those together? So Diana well, is a roller coaster tycoon addict, I think is the easiest, the I, simplest way to put it. Yeah. I was going to say fiend, but yes. I think she's crossed, she's crossed that line a couple of times. So addict is, is the term. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's relapsing. Yeah. Roller coaster tycoon is her jam. Bread, butter, whatever, you know, food item makes sense for this analogy. That's it. So mm-hmm. Adam, if you had to pick one game for Jenny, what would that be in this context? I don't think I could pick one. She's uh, She plays a really diverse range of games. Um, what so kind of game do you think she would make? I don't know. She's <laughs> – I mean again because it's, it's, it's that diverse range of things, you know, because like – because what she does for, for a living is, is write. But she doesn't play any like – she doesn't play graphic, you know, like graphic novel style games or anything like that, whatever you call She's those. She's not necessarily into extreme narrative games. Yeah, but the, but uh, except like for of course default. like the RPGs that have really good narrative content and stuff, which she's played a whole mm-hmm. bunch of. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a there's a whole bunch of games that she just like loves the shit out of, but they're all very different from each other. Um, so in terms of like actually in terms of what does that mean for your artistic creation? You know, yeah, like I, I, know. I have literally no, I don't know how to map. I don't know. How, I don't think there's a mapping without somebody actually sitting there think about it themselves. Of like, I don't think I can map for another person. Their interests onto their artistic uh, interests, right? Interests in, in uh, capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, even for my own stuff, like the kinds of games that I'm into playing are not the kinds of games I'd want to make. Uh, because of because you want to make a game that's interesting to make, yeah, not right. right. <laughs> and, yeah. and of course, yeah. I hope it's interesting to play too. But I'm more interested in the making it part than in the playing it because that's, you know? that's what your job. Because that's what your job is. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like they're they're just different things and, and so i'm not i i just can't i can't really come up with an answer to this question it's a think. it's a tough one i think i think i also have a, a challenging answer here because my wife is not really into video games mm-hmm. uh sapata is a s- sports human she's just always she's been playing tennis since she was six she was a national tennis champion in india uh, she does CrossFit. She plays tennis. Uh, even even now during the quarantine, she's doing thirty to forty minutes of of workouts. Today's her rest day, and she woke up and uh, she she looks at her phone and she's like, "Ah, crap!" And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "This is going to be a great workout today. I have to do it." I was like, what do you She's like, I'm so. She's like, oh, this is this is gonna be so good. It's got, and then she like starts listing all the things that she is excited about doing in this workout. So she's she does the opposite of what the rest of us do, which is like we're all for every excuse to not. Right, we're looking at we're coming up with reasons to turn everything into a rest day. And meanwhile, she's trying to get out of rest day. Um, And so, if if she were to be involved in making a game. It would potentially be something Pokemon Go ish, where like you're out, you're out, 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 yeah, out, out doing and about. stuff. Um, but also, she will absolutely destroy puzzles and Sudoku books. Mm. So I genuinely but don't would know she want how to design a puzzle because like designing yeah. a puzzle game is I don't know. so different than playing a puzzle. It game. is yeah. so different, yeah. And, and that's that's really the core problem is is much like uh, you know if you're a brewer of beer. Um, I don't, I don't know if that means that you're going to always make the kind of beer that you like to drink right? or, or are you just going to make, or do, do you like to do experiments with your brewing and like some of it, other people might like that you made and you'll just keep making that because people like it. Right. Uh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell where things go on the creative side. Like I stumbled on this, this problem, which is that, uh, your, your personal interest is what you find as entertainment entertaining as a piece of media might be completely different from what you find basically uh, fulfilling to make as a piece of media. Or that right? you're capable of making. Yeah, that's a whole other question. Because every yeah. every I mean, MMO player wants to make an MMO, but there's a reason how? there's a reason that only a few MMOs exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Because apparently it takes more than one person yeah, to make somehow. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I that's that's always been my so MMOs are my jam. 
And I've always wanted to make one, but also I realized that in order to do that, I would need to be running an organization of probably over a hundred people yeah, at you least. Need scale. You need scale and you need a constant 24 seven customer support. You know, you need, cause people are playing your game 24 hours a day online. Um, and so if something goes wrong in the game, like maybe somebody gets stuck in a wall, like this does happen, right? Mm-hmm. And you need a you need a GM to come in and get that person out of the wall, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's just how you do it. Uh, so it's very hard to make the things that you like sometimes. Uh, all right, next question comes from Butterscotch Atheist. Thoughts on looking at other games game reviews? For Ooh. example, have you looked at the reviews for the Mario Maker series to make sure you don't make the same mistakes they did? Interesting. Uh, yes. But I think I think reviews. Ideally, what you can find is uh, is actually a someone who is not necessarily critiquing the game, but someone who is more so just like excitedly trying to understand it. it. Yeah, yeah, trying to understand it. Yeah, and saying like oh, I played this. Like the honestly, the best video for us was the was, Sieve uh, video. That yeah, the video by Sieve called the play problem, and we saw that and we were like, oh, we can solve that problem. Uh, and this is the issue of you know in in any user generated content game. How do users who generate the content actually get other people to see it? Which is, you know, the most exciting part about all of that uh, without having to be famous external to the game. Uh, and, the, and the fact that, you know, in a Mario Maker 2's case, like they did not solve this problem. In fact, Levelhead, I believe, is the first try. <laughs> Level is the first uh, basic maker game that actually tries to solve this problem to make it possible for anyone, no matter what, to actually be able to get their stuff seen by other people and played. And, now, uh, I, I also want to say that, you know, we've said in the past that, that if you read reviews written by even professional uh, game critics, oftentimes the review reveals more about the person doing the reviewing than about the game. Yeah. And people, people who leave reviews are rarely that self-aware that they write the review in an, a, a fairly objective um, – more like sort of standardized way. Like they don't, they don't evaluate the game. They evaluate how they felt about the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and negative reviews in particular often have people coming into games with outrageous expectations and demands of what they wanted the game to be. And the game just wasn't that thing. Right. And they, they gave it a thumbs down or you have people coming in who end up getting into a game um, and give it a positive review despite potentially having a large number of bad experiences getting into the game early, which they've mm-hmm. sort of since forgotten about by the time they get to hour 100. And their review is not reflective at all of what is actually causing people to quit the game, for example, right. or or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that reviews I, – I personally like to just myself pick up a game and play it. Like if if there's a competing game like what we uh, had with when we first started working on Levelhead and, and picking up uh, Mario Maker, um, we uh, I mean we just picked it up and played it and yeah. talked about it, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, this kind of goes to that question from last week about like you know do you play do you play games on purpose basically for for work reasons? And this this is the category of stuff where it's like oh how how did they do you know X Y or Z and go check it out yourself? I think the the danger of relying on reviews is if the if the reviewer is more about the sentiment behind the effect of a design decision versus what that design decision is and how it affects the gameplay. Uh, that's the sort of stuff that's really useful and really fun where it's like, Oh, here's an, in Steve's case, here's this interesting issue with you know how this game is made uh, or here's how this works in a really useful way. But it's very rare to find someone who articulates that super effectively. Uh, so I find like game makers toolkit has been really useful. Uh, there are a couple of YouTube channels that I look at, um, whenever they put out a video, I'll just watch the whole thing because it's very fun to see someone skillfully articulate how various pieces of design kind of fit together. Uh, but I don't necessarily think you get that per se on, on a review side. And I think, I mean, I think critical yeah, yeah, you are- do on occasion, but it, it, that's one of those rare gems where it's very particular reviewers who are just extremely thoughtful and also took a lot of time with the game and studied it in our, cause the, the, cool position that a reviewer is in, a professional reviewer is in, is they've seen a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. they've, they've got their they've got their pulse on what people are into. And in the moment, they've 
seen fads come and go if they've been around for a while. They've written about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so they've seen the technology change and they've seen new design ideas come into being. And, mm-hmm. and so they, they have a huge in, in principle, they have a huge awareness of, of, uh, of what games are all about. Um, and that puts, well, they, yeah, they've had the opportunity to acquire a huge awareness. Well, but yeah, but most of their <laughs> yeah most of their awareness for most reviewers is is the is the player style awareness, right? Where they can tell how the thing feels. They've been exposed to stuff, and so so there's more there's more stuff that they sort of can realize. There's more stuff that they can respond to, um, but mm-hmm. still, most of it I think is is sort of uh, implicit and doesn't and doesn't doesn't end up creating a lot of really careful analysis of that thing because it's not, yeah. there's right. not a self-aware component of the, at the same well, time. It's, it's true. That it's not necessary for that role, right? Which is that uh, yeah. the, the main thing that you're looking for when you go to read a game review is, is, is this going to be a analysis. good time? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a yes or no. Like, does this person I trust who generally recommends games who I've played some of their games, do they say it's good or not? Um, yeah. And that does, that does honestly, you know, come down to a gut feel thing. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, uh, with not, not providing, uh, you know, some of those like more, more interesting breakdowns. It's just that for us as, as the devs, it's, they're not as useful, uh, to well, look we, at. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah. Unless yeah. they include those elements. Yeah. It needs to be a breakdown for it to be really useful. Otherwise, otherwise it's just, uh, sort of a, a vague report of kind of how somebody felt about it. I mean, and every once in a while you'll see something in even a pretty lightweight review where there's like a particular, particular design yeah, choice that they hate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can see and be like, oh yeah, like we're also doing that. Let's let's rethink that now that you know, just because we just saw somebody hating it, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think that's the only kind of thing you can really get out of of out of a regular review as a developer. Now, now I'd also point out that I think we're all thinking about this in terms of negative stuff. Yeah. Right. Because because interestingly, like there are there are tons of fantastic, well written, positive reviews out there um, that really like go into great depth about why they love the game. And those I think are actually pretty useful a lot of a lot of times. It's just that we have a tendency to look for the negative reviews and seek them out because um because generally speaking, like if we're if we're interested in making a certain kind of a game, then we feel like we have a sense of what's cool about that and what's fun about that that type of a game. Mm-hmm. And we may we may uh, we may look at reviews to get a better sense of what people are looking for, but generally we already know what we want to do with the game. Yeah. Um, and so, so really, it, it's we seek out the the negative reviews to try to figure out where where we might accidentally go wrong. Um, but you know, like like we've been saying, it's 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 oftentimes hard to parse out what is a legitimate complaint versus an idiosyncratic complaint. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Next question comes from Tim Conceivable. Adam, what with, with the TP shortage of 2020? Are you going to finally hook up that bidet? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to need to because we're starting to. We're winding down in our toilet paper reserves, so that's probably going to have to happen really this weekend before we run into trouble. So now I knew, I knew this was coming because I I was reading. I mean this. If you've been paying attention to world news, and of course you you knew what was happening in China just in November and December, mm-hmm. right? And I was I was reading an article, and somebody had made a comment in there, and they were like, "The strangest thing about all this is that you cannot find toilet paper in the stores anywhere, and it makes no sense. Why? Why is why are people out there buying all of the toilet paper? <laughs> yes. And I think it's because." Because people think to themselves, I might need to be, in, you know, in my house, unable to go get supplies for a couple of weeks, right? And because toilet paper is replaced so rarely, that generally people have literally no concept of how much of it they use. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so true. they just get a lot, just a lot of it, just to be safe. And then as and then you you have this uh, this this reinforcement loop, right? Like you see that the toilet paper's half gone and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't really need toilet paper, but if it's going to be gone, I don't want to be without it. So I should probably, I should probably go get some, yeah. right? Well, I think also the consequence uh, of actually running, if you've ever been on the toilet and then realized that the roll oh, is it's, empty because someone fucking bamboozled you. 
it's a dire situation. Yeah. No good. Yeah. So you don't want you don't want to be caught in that, right? And so I remember I read that article, and then as soon as the GDC cancellation hit, I was like, I gotta go get some toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ha- I actually have here in my storage room, I have one extra 18 pack ready to go. It's you're one of those open. hoarders. You're part of the problem. It's in my basement. A single 18 pack, you you terrible. Yeah, monster to be, yeah. and all that. So so I didn't I didn't uh, hoard, but I did just get one backup pack, you know. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, because again, like you said, Sam, I don't want to be caught in the. I don't yeah. want to be caught. You want to be caught with your pants down, you know. This and also, so right around the time all of these uh, ding dongs started buying up all the toilet paper, myself included, uh, <laughs> all the bidets <laughs> sold out. Yep. Yeah, that is also true. If you go to, if you go online, try to look at the bidets. Gone. All the bidets are gone. I think I'm just personally very happy that there's a contingent of people in the world who are waiting for Adam to hook up his bidet. I think <laughs> something about that is just sort of like a weird, magical <laughs> 2020 moment to me, yeah. you know? Well, sort of, I mean, we got the bed jet review. Now we need the bidet bidet watch. The bidet mm-hmm. jet review. Yeah, yeah really. I'm, I'm, I'm just honestly going to have to – I almost hooked it up last weekend, but last weekend I was just weirdly tired for some reason, like the whole weekend. So I kind of just did nothing. But I'm, I'm, we're at that point now where I think it basically has to happen this weekend. It's tough. So let's have we talked on the we've talked on the podcast about Dominion, right? What about it? Just about the fact that I've had this board game for four years and never opened it. Mm-hmm. I f- I feel like I feel like the bidet is starting to enter that. That territory. Yeah, you gotta be if you wait any longer, it's going to be tradition that you talk about it every week. And once per year, we talk about, it. <laughs> talk about Adam hooking up his bidet, and then he doesn't hook it up. Uh, okay, well, I guess I guess maybe next week we'll we'll hear the the wonders. I'm sure it'll be a saga yeah. of uh, having your butt squirted with water. <laughs> <laughs> So dumb. All right. Next question comes from C Price. What are your views on post-launch business models in indie games? I've been having some discussions lately on what the best business model is for an indie game to support itself after launch. My teammate's opinion is that adding microtransactions is a cardinal sin for an indie developer and will inevitably create a huge backlash. Subscription services don't work outside of MMOs leaving only paid DLC expansions as viable. Have you seen any of these or other models work successfully? I, mean, I think you've probably seen all of the models actually work successfully. Yeah, yeah uh, totally. To, to one degree or another. I think what, what you have a taste for and what fits with your design is sort of where the trick comes in. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's easy, for example, to look at uh, uh, subscriptions – and say like, oh, I mean, like the Apple Arcade is a good example of this. You know, they were like, we're going to make, we have a bunch of weird games, like a bunch of weird games that normally wouldn't be able to like fund themselves. But the reality is if it's a subscription service, you need games that make people keep coming back and playing forever, right? Yes. You uh, need deep games. You need deep games. So they can be weird, but they need to be actually deep, not one-off experiences. Uh, and so really you have to pick the business model that matches with whatever the thing is. And I think the one that's not on the list, which I, I personally find very interesting uh, and I'm most curious about is not not DLC, but actually the continued update model with just a premium game, uh, which Terraria has, style. Yeah, has been the case for a number of games. Basically, when they hit some level of escape velocity uh, in the market, then Kerbal Space Program. Yep. Then when they do an update, it is such a big deal uh, that it brings in a fresh wave of players, right? And every time they do one, it brings in another wave of players. And if they're all of the games that share this in common at least ones that I'm familiar with, uh, are all these long-form hobby games. So stuff like that you can just keep on playing, like Terraria or Kerbal Space Program, whatever else. Armello? Um, does Armello do Armello this? Armello does that, yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's the thing I find an interesting other model here too, which, which is this sort of just the continued update model and then trusting those updates to be essentially you know miniature launches of a currently existing product, relaunch and relaunch and relaunch. Yeah, uh, over the course of, of years. Um, well, this is a debate that we actually have c- constantly over and over mm-hmm. about uh, – and this was true even leading up to the launch of Levelhead of what model to use for the game period. Um, and and was still part of the discussion before 
we or once we settled on that, there was still that question of what do we think we're going to do for for post launch updates, uh, and we had a lot of back and forth about introducing potential IAPs, introducing DLCs, uh, and and I don't think I know I personally am not I'm not uh, sort of settled that I, that I think we're doing the best thing by any stretch. I think on some platforms we're clearly doing the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, like. On, Hands down. On mobile. Yeah, we're doing, we're <laughs> yeah. doing the worst thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the thing to consider with because I think Sam is Sam is right that, that you know the the long term uh just constant free updates thing. I'm actually and so he and I are the ones who've always been arguing about this because we're just not we just believe the opposite things basically. Cause because mm-hmm. I just I I don't I don't buy that that free updates. First of all, I think it's only possible for a game that's already wildly successful. Um uh, is and as I, and I haven't seen it in any other context where a game was not successful. Did I guess there there've been like there's been like one or two sort of exceptions to this, right? But but almost never has a game uh, that failed, Just updated, been updated, and, you know, and updated its way to victory. Um, and so I think if you're successful enough, that it doesn't matter. Like Terraria, Terraria is so successful that it wouldn't Just announced thirty million units sold. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it just doesn't matter if they it doesn't it doesn't matter if they keep on putting out free updates because they're doing fine, right? Um because my bet is that if they were to do paid DLC, that the attach rate on that for Terraria would be very high. Yeah. And they would do a fuckload better mm-hmm. making more right. money. It's not that they're doing the best business model. It's just that the one that they're doing is the one made that them five hundred million dollars. So it's yeah, exactly. Fine, yeah, right? and, then, and for us, it's basically <laughs> the same deal with like going on a mobile with a premium title, which is not because we think that's the best model. It's because we're trying to we juggle all these different platforms, and we think we can get away with it. Uh, and and we didn't want to have to make the changes to the game that we required to make it actually fit the IAP model that actually does work on mobile. Um, and so so when it when it comes to the free updates thing, I just I, I think it's I think it's one of those things that it, it does help keep players engaged and coming back, like your existing yeah, players. Definitely. But in this, but to me, that's the same thing as like a, as a DLC does, right? The difference is there's no hurdle when it's a free update, um, but with a DLC, uh, there is a hurdle. Except that that hurdle comes with you as the developer getting paid for all that extra work that you did, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and without a doubt, if you have a fairly rare release cycle, because um, if you're doing continuous updates, I don't think. Anybody gives a shit at all, actually. Uh, but if you do like fairly rare, larger patches, um, like every every four to six months, or something. yeah, it's like every every quarter or rare, more rarely, right? So that's a big enough deal that you can then reengage your player base, and you can you know send use whatever tools you've developed to to tell your people that you've done some cool new stuff, get some people to write things again, get some new feature treatment from all the stores. Because the stores also refeature you if you put out an update. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to me, that's like all like putting out an update by itself. Uh, does nothing except cost you a bunch of development money, um, and if you have if you have what you need to really leverage that to get basically store featuring, then I think you can successfully turn that into uh, into new sales. But I still have a hard time buying that that would be more effective than doing a paid DLC because a paid paid DLC gives you all of that same stuff, except also people yeah. pay for it, which is I think yeah, for me the most deal. surprising one is Monument Valley. Which is a forty-five minute game. Yep, they released a paid DLC, which did spectacularly well. Yeah, people were like, "Fuck yeah, I want forty-five more minutes of this." And they, yeah, and their, yeah, and their DLC and was like great. four bucks. I think because the main game was like four bucks, and the DLC was also like two or two or four dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. on uh, mobile. Yeah, so, I, so I, I think I think arguably just selling the game and never monetizing it again is clearly the the. It's second the worst, worst business, idea. business but, move. The worst would be to just give it away for free and not right, right, monetize it at all. The very important <laughs> note there, that, and this is something that Adam mentioned, but I think it's worth doubling down on, is that if it's the case that doing your update allows you to get additional store featuring, then it, that's actually not true, right? Because the update itself is a mechanism by which you generate additional sales. Right, except yeah. if, but then your goal there, because it is actually, now you have kind of a perverse incentive. Exactly, possible. yeah. You want to yeah. get the smallest update you can get that'll cause a store to feature you because you're yes. not... Because existing players don't cause you to make more money, right? Um, uh, unless they are, you know, by word of mouth, basically selling your game, and you mm-hmm. reengage them so effectively that you get a f- huge flood back, and then that like one percent conversion rate basically turns into something. 
Um, yeah, I think that's totally true. Well, yeah, well, but uh, but if we think about if it's not a question of whether something is good or bad, it's a question of whether it's the best or the worst. And and I think the do you mean that's the question that was asked, or that's you're saying well, no, globally the, that is the, the question. This, this is the question when it comes to like. Uh, releasing an update for free versus selling an expansion is is selling an expansion can get you featuring and therefore new players, mm-hmm. yep. right? Because some big expansion pack came out and that's a big deal. But also, a store and, is much more likely to feature you if you can make them money, which you know that's right, how which they would like it. Because they're going to get their thirty percent cut of that DLC yeah. that you're putting out. And so, so it's very possible that you will get more exposure and more money by selling an expansion and your existing players uh, still get plenty of content and everything and everything is great. Um, so I, I, I personally think that probably the, the most successful model for an indie would be that model of selling expansions. But I also am just going on a hunch here. I don't have data for that. <laughs> but, I, but I also think – I think so, the important thing with all this though is that I – I still firmly believe that none of this matters if your game isn't already pretty successful. No, oh, yeah, you can't excel an expansion for something that people haven't bought the first. No, part and, of. You, and you can't update your way to a successful title by giving away stuff for free either. I mean, again, it's happened on very rare occasion, but uh, but if you yeah, look at those cases, yeah. yeah, if you look at those cases where it has happened, and look at the sheer amount of of development money and time that went into pulling that off, well, like that was the. Yeah, the main issue is, is actually again kind of what we experienced in early access, right? Just that's essentially what early access actually is. Right is uh, you you're trying to update your way to victory. Yeah, you launch yeah. and then you try to update your way to victory. And the the reality is that uh, if people but those don't, updates don't bring any new exposure in early access, because yeah, which because is the, the, because news doesn't necessarily care and the platform doesn't necessarily care. So right. That's, that's unless you're already successful, which is the whole fucking problem in the first place. Yeah, right? I mean, you almost all get on the, the Ferris wheel. Yeah, almost all the t- all the titles that were successful coming out of early access were ones that were successful going into early access. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's those very rare cases where and it, and it's there's always a story, there's always an explanation for those where it's like some huge streamer picked it up or you know whatever something happened in early access. Um but uh it's just not really the case that like you put an early access title out that nobody knows about and you just keep chipping away and then come launch day everything's fucking yeah. great. Which know? is why which is why we are not counting on on our early access presence as being anything meaningful when it comes to the full launch. <laughs> well, if anything, we're assuming it's actually harming our launch. It's it's very, very likely harming our launch um, based on everything that we've seen so far. But yep. uh, that's why we're launching in seven places at yeah. once, you know? Yep. Uh, the, the thinking is that the the sheer presence of the game on all these platforms and the and the featuring – Across the board will allow us will allow each platform to boost the others. Yeah, we're hoping to overwhelm all the damage that early access has done to our to yeah, our Steam, yes, yes. or at the very yeah. least, whelm it. Yeah, at least whelm mm-hmm. it, so we can kind of erase some of the some some of the mountain that we've stuck in front of ourselves by going early access. Yeah. Now, as a side note, if anybody is wondering about going into early access, probably don't. <laughs> probably <laughs> don't. Back, I didn't hear you say. Oh, I said if uh, if anybody's wondering about going into early access, don't. Uh, mm. I think I think the one advantage it gave us was was it allowed us to cultivate a small player base that was giving us feedback throughout the development process, and it allowed us to make a better game, which is which I think is true. Yeah. Um, but it came with so many disadvantages. Uh, we could have done side. that. We still could have done early access outside of the Steam ecosystem. Yeah, we could have just done a closed beta and just kept that running uh, yeah. throughout development. And so we actually gained nothing but lost a lot, I think. So yeah, I think uh, over over that whole because now it's been in early access for a year, and I think over that year we earned back like a a month of development cost or something. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Right? It, yeah, so, it's not it's not gone. St- Stunningly well. No, uh, and then we and then because of, we were in early access, that it's made our marketing really weird because the game's already technically out. Uh, since Steam suppresses early access titles, then our game looks like it's doing it. worse than it actually is from you know because it's because it is actively being suppressed. Uh, yeah. It turns out also coming out of launch, like we don't we didn't know, but we can't we can't be in the listing of uh, upcoming coming soon coming soon games on Steam. Because we already were coming soon a year yeah, ago. Because we're already out, <laughs> and so there's that now that featuring opportunity part of launch that we don't get to participate in, and there's there's a little bit of just kind of a dampening of the 
sort of launch excitement, I think, that comes out of this. Because we're even talking about like for the press stuff, having embargo dates and all of this. And it's all really weird because the, the we games, have an embargo. Be, like, we're, we're that, gonna, yeah, we're going to have I mean, an embargo. <laughs> but the embargo is basically for like the reviews, right? Because – you can already go play the game. And so it's just, it's a, it and there's it's already a, a year's position. worth of, of YouTube videos already out there. Yeah. 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 So the whole thing is, as, as, uh, uh, of anything that we've done throughout the development of this, the, the early access thing has definitely just, just added an endless series of, of wrinkles and issues to the whole process. Well, it's, just, it's made things much more complicated, but I think the, the inverse is also true, which is if you, if you think about a scenario under which uh, Levelhead early access launch was, was a phenomenal success. Uh, then you you actually end up you end up back in a in a scenario where where that becomes a, a more interesting part of the story and becomes uh, extra useful for it. I think it's it's sort of problematic to just say that early access is bad because to me it has all of the things we're describing are just the same as launching a goddamn game in the first place. Uh, yeah. Where, yes, but uh, you know I mean? but I think I think if you have a game that succeeds in spite of all of the dampening effects of early access, then it stands to reason that it probably would have done just fine if you had saved it for a, a full launch. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I don't know if you could say that you necessarily gained anything by putting it into early access. Well, that's, right? well, that's what I'm talking about though. Cause I think, uh, I think the reality is the game is very different than it would have been had we not been in early access. So I don't know if we're talking strictly business or if you're talking about the game, because I think the we're reality talking, is, talking about talking business business. Cause yeah, I think that, from a monetary perspective, yeah, it's dumb, but I think that's, it's also the question of like, uh, of if it's the case that this allows us to actually achieve a much tighter product market fit by the time the game comes out on everything, then it very well may be that it is 100% worth it, despite the fact that it appears to be definitely not worth it from a business perspective. Well, I think, yeah. what I think again, I think the alternative though is is we could not have the business harm, but still go that get all that benefit by running our own early access. System yes. that, that's because the key to it is the openness. I think that the openness is where the problem comes from because that's yep. what that's yep. what removes I mean, excitement I mean, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so I think for our next title, probably we should come up with a really interesting uh, closed early access model um, that maybe still be paid. I don't know how we would do it. Uh, like maybe you like pre-buy what will eventually be your Steam key or you know whatever, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe it maybe it's just a free program um, and we cycle people in and out. Like who knows? But I think if we can come up with a really interesting way to do early access and then do it ourselves, so we can bypass all of the negative impacts that we get in the press and in the storefronts. Um, that would be, it would be an interesting thing but, to try. But still get yeah. the, the feedback loop of having yeah. a play. Cause if you think about like we, the number of, cause we've got a, basically a few thousand players, um, uh, in, in level head through early access. And, and so that's not that many people actually, you know, but the amount of, of really great feedback and sort of the depth of, community that's been created as a consequence and, and how much more fun it was for us to do development when there were people actively oh, engaged. It's been with, so good. Yeah. It's been like, as an experience, mm-hmm. it's been fucking wonderful. It's just not as a business experience, <laughs> but, but like the, the, the point that we can get that with actually a pretty small user base, um, is, is to me the signal that we don't need to go through some enormous entity like steam to true, get all yeah. those benefits. Um, yeah. yeah, so we should right. provided you can somehow draw them in yourself, which now that we've done our ads and stuff, I'm like, yeah, we got, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Vuvu987, who says, Seth, you went on a quest for gains a few episode ago, a few episodes ago, a few hundred probably at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've gone on I, a few quests for gains over the, the lifespan of the podcast. I've gone on two definite ones, and on the third one, I got pneumonia almost immediately, and uh, I couldn't complete my quest. Uh, Vuvu says, I am currently trying to get into a quest for loss. Do you have any tips? P.S. I love this podcast. Keep up the good work. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Tips on loss. People always focus on exercise. It is about food. Yeah, it is 100% yeah. about food. It is yeah. 100% of – you could not lift a finger and yep. lose 500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean if you've got them. If you have – yeah. Uh, because weight loss is is literally it's, – it's a thermodynamics problem, right? Like yeah. energy cannot Don't take in more energy than you, than you, can, than you use. Yeah. Um, so, so everything that you've got on your body that you don't want to be there – is something that you put there at some point, right? Uh, so the I think the reason that this is so fucking hard 
is because you have to get comfortable with being kind of hungry. Yeah, we don't have to be really hungry, you know, because I'm just kind of hungry. Yeah, to know? me, to me, the 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 sort of the crux of it is um, is awareness and like conscious awareness of what you're doing with food, um, because food for us, certainly as Americans anyway, and certainly as Midwesterners in particular, is is kind of a, just this like mindless thing that you just kind of are always participating in. You know, it's a lot more like a hobby than a survival thing. But it's not even really – because a hobby is something you still usually think about, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to some extent. That's true. Yeah, it's, a habit. It's, like, it's just a habit. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just a habit. And uh, and so I think I think the, the first thing to focus on is just conscious awareness of what you're actually doing and and paying attention to how how you feel from a fullness perspective because people always want to – people always eat until they're full instead of eating until they're not hungry, which are very different. Those are enormously different levels. Yeah, you uh, don't need you eat to until be you're full. not hungry – yeah, you can eat literally like a fifth as much if you only eat until you're not hungry than you do if you eat until you're full and you feel way better. Um, so there's that. And the other thing is to play the long game because if all yeah. you do is just eat like literally 100, cal- 100 calories less every day, given like five years, you can be right where you want to be. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. well, uh, but again, it, but you have, it can't be 100 calories less than what you've been doing. It has, yeah, to, be it has to be less than what you need to sustain. Yeah, yeah. But, but than your maintenance level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but it, the point still being, though, that it doesn't take very much, actually, to get a sustained, slow, healthy yeah. loss. If the you can thing is, put up with the fact that you shouldn't be even measuring it. If you just feel like, to me, that's, that's the beauty of it, is if, if you just say, like, I just want to be healthier and then eat better to be healthier, and that's all you did, then given one to five years, you basically have lost everything you want to lose. Yeah, I think yes. the tricky bit is, of course, the is is always the how, right? And so, I mean, there's been studies yeah. that show that if you even if you just keep a food journal, so just keep on doing what you're doing, but just write down everything you eat. Don't even try to change it. Just write it all down. Don't even you know, write down the nu- nutrition or calories. Or just no. write down the things that you ate. Just keep track of it. Yeah, Literally, make it easy. as soon as you do this, because it it points. It's a mindfulness exercise. Essentially, it makes you aware of what you're doing. Uh, if you start doing this, then I mean, there's been a bunch of studies that show that like this is one of the most effective ways to uh, to start basically getting control of, of this and 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 getting the loss you want because you suddenly become aware of it. It, it turns it training yeah, mindfulness right? turns it from a habit into a into a decision. Yeah, I, I think the other thing about it is is people tend to fail to realize how the math works with these things. So let's say like using Adam's example, let's say you are operating at a hundred calorie deficit. Um, over the course of a year, you will lose many pounds. Uh, it's going to take a while, but like you'll, you'll, you'll lose the weight. But let's say, let's say you go, uh, Monday through or Sunday through Friday is your hundred calorie deficit and Saturday is your cheat day. Okay. Which people often do this concept of a cheat day. So for their cheat day, they're just going to slam down a, a fucking giant pint of ice cream or something. Um, which by itself may have 600 calories, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you're down a hundred calories Sunday through Friday. So that's 600 calories. Then you have the one pint, which puts you then at a 600 calorie surplus. And now you've exactly undid the previous six days of work, <laughs> which is why it's all about one sustainability. Food. Like cause if, yeah, if, yeah. the thing is, if it's a lifestyle change. Yeah. Cause if it's, if it's hard for you to do, I think this is the promise. People always are like, I need to go on a diet. I need to only eat salads. I need to do whatever. All these extreme things. No, now now I need a cheat day to recover. If you literally just eat less and not like a lot less, less, just eat less. Uh, you can eat the same stuff you've been eating. Yeah. Just less, just of less of it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is focusing, as Sam said, like write down the stuff that you're doing as you eat so that now there's you're keeping a record. And then if you look at that every evening, you're like – the first few times you do that, you're going to be like, fuck, that was a lot more than I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is if you just – as you're eating, you just chew slowly and are constantly checking in with yourself every time you take a bite and asking, do I need this? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And if the answer is no, just put it down. You, it's remarkable how many things you can just put away. You know, like we're always trying to once you clean our plate. Once you're thinking about it, yeah, that's the trick. Is it's it's a, it's simple but not easy, which is I think the the truth yeah. is difficult. But it's hard yeah. as fuck. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so as far as like a, a tangible stuff, so yeah, f- food journal definitely is useful. Um, I I in the past have used um, an app called Lose It, 
which is a mobile app that has like a little scanner and you can scan barcodes and it'll automatically put the, the calories and nutrition information into your uh, phone, which is super, super nice. And there's like pretty much everything is in there. Um, and, and you can also put in your current weight and everything else and your activity level, age, all that stuff. And it will tell you what, what, it, what you need uh, to maintain your weight and what you would need to say like lose a pound a week in terms of calories and stuff like that. Um, so those kinds of things are uh, super useful I think so. Yeah, this could be whatever. helpful. I think I would, my, my suggestion is to try some of those things just to see, but the main thing to focus on is mindfulness because that changes your habits. And and it's really all 100%. about, it is just about habits. Being, being aware of yeah. what it is that you're doing. Um, yep. And so, so yeah, don't, don't, don't stress about the exercise. Exercise is great for your health. Yeah. That's, that's how you keep your heart from exploding yeah. when you turn 60. But food is what you need to focus on for your weight. Mm-hmm. And so, also your health. And, and your health. It's uh, just more important. Which are correlated, but yes. Yeah. No, I think food Sorry. is just more important. Like exercise is important, definitely. Food is just actually more important. Yes. That's 90% of it, at least. Yeah. Uh, all right. Final question of the day comes from Underscrum Rompy Yerbly, who says, cliche question of the day. You are each stuck on an island. Different islands. I'm sorry. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> for the rest of your lives, and you can only have one book, one alcoholic beverage, and play one video game. What do you choose? Note, you have unlimited battery slash energy and internet for your beach computer slash console. <laughs> I have unlimited power available on this fucking island unlimited power unlimited then all i need is a book on electronics the densest engineering book that yep. there is give me a manual <laughs> and in in 10 years time it'll be like a it'll be like a like a i don't even know what what's that Atlantis. They'd be like a fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, they come didn't, out of they nowhere. didn't specify how many uh, how many natural resources you have at your disposal. Like, could you mine for ore? You know, is this? Does it matter if you have unlimited batteries? I got unlimited batteries. Yeah, but you can't be build. Fair. You can't build electri- like electric. You, you can use the batteries to power things, but you can't use them to build things that you power. You Actually, know, though, but saying. you already have the internet. So, like, I guess, I guess, is the internet only for the video game? <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we, so we have to play the game or just go with these restrictions, you know? Mm-hmm. So Okay. So yeah, basically, would, it's that what book can you entertain yourself with for a very long period of time? Uh, none. Yeah, I can't I'm think of a single none. one. I'll just, I would like instead just a very large sheaf of paper. Is it a sheaf? Is that what it's called? Uh, sheaf sure, of yeah. Paper. Just the biggest stack of paper I can get that would be roughly equivalent to whatever the biggest book is that I would get. That's what I need. I need That's draw, what you draw need. on that until you run out or something? Just write on it, draw on it, doodle on it, whatever. It'll take me much longer to do that than to read whatever the book of that same size. You can also use the batteries as pencils to write in the sand. There you go. You know. You now, know. what's your alcoholic beverage of choice? Peanut butter whiskey, probably. I think. I feel like you're I gonna, would end up with too much be, of that. You're so mad. <laughs> you're gonna be so mad when I tell you the correct answer. What, what is, is the correct answer? Mouthwash. Ooh. <laughs> It's true. Presumably there's no hygienic supplies and your teeth are going to fall out. Like, can you wash your you body got, with mouthwash? I mean, you can wash anything with mouthwash. Kind of alcohol, you're going to be off. minty as fuck. You can also use it is, to sterilize things. So if you get like wounds and stuff, you know. Dang, Seth, that's good. And, and they can is, also I mean, do that with just regular alcohol too. It's not the best beverage. Well, it says it's an alcoholic beverage. And I feel like mouthwash is the closest thing you can get to a cleaning thing that's also technically could be a beverage, but shouldn't be. <laughs> but, but, this is, but this is interesting though, because if mouthwash is just an alcoholic beverage that is really bad for you if you drink too much of and doesn't taste like all alcoholic beverages, all that yeah. good, you know, then why not just and like and it does this like the only reason that it that it freshens your breath is because there's mint in there, you know. So mm-hmm. you could just get some minty booze. It's true. Then you have to worry about, you know, if you ever want to drink your. That's just what mouthwash is. (laughs) (laughs) How can we not? You're not supposed to drink mouthwash, though. Is that because it's booze or because there's something really bad? I think it's because there's something really bad. I think it's it's not just because it's booze. Also, because the actual alcohol content is so low that it's not. It's not actually booze. There's probably more. There's probably more sugar in it than there is alcohol. Yeah, I would bet. 
I don't think there is sugar in mouthwash. Oh, yeah, there would be sugar. There would be sugar in mouthwash. Nah, I bet there is. That's crazy, Adam. It's crazy. I bet there is, but it's in there. <laughs> it's probably just it's probably again. just syrup with like two drops of alcohol. All right. So the answer is some kind of extremely dense engineering book so that you can use your unlimited energy for your video game console to sort of Tony Stark your way off the island. Yep. Uh, I'm getting off this rock. Okay. Mouthwash or some or, other minty alcoholic drink. Uh-huh. So you feel like you've got <laughs> fresh breath. So you can infreshen your breath and infreshen your pits. Your armpits. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it's going to smell like a human on this island real fast unless you're minting your way out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final piece of the question is what video game do you choose to pass the time on this island? You need something you dump just thousands of hours in. Yeah, it's got to be and in, in something social because assuming – well, it's something that could either be social or not because it's not clear if we actually get to use the internet specifically. strictly for this purpose. You do have unlimited internet. Presumably this is only for the video game. So yeah. it's kind of – I would – so actually tough. I would go with Minecraft, which is not because I love Minecraft, but because it is basically infinite in the kind of like how much you could play it and – if it's multiplayer, mm-hmm. then people are doing stuff like putting, you know, entire libraries of actual books inside of oh, Minecraft. I see, I see you getting into the so internet can, yeah. through Minecraft. We're gonna play exactly. So I'm gonna, and they don't even need that dense as fuck book anymore. That that electronic book, because I could get that in Minecraft. And then the only book I would need is one that's just fun to hold physically, which I don't actually really care about in books. So I wouldn't even take a book. Actually, I take a Kindle. Yeah, you know? and you know that Minecraft is gonna be around for a long time. Yeah, because it has been around for for ten years, and, and it'll it's just keep being Microsoft. Bigger. More libraries will be putting it. Yeah, because yep. it's it's Legos, right? Like it's yep. it can't die anymore. So, yep. I mean, that, that would suck Good if you choice. picked a game that uh, you know, like if I picked WildStar back in twenty fifteen. That's tough. Yeah, and, uh, six months later, I got no games to play on my on my mm-hmm. little island. So, all right, Minecraft, minty booze, and engineering book. I think that's I think that's good. Yep. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything you could ever dream of. Thank you all for listening. See you next week. Goodbye.